Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. So that you can make the sound we broadcast as low as possible. Installment of the Kaiju Cast, the only podcast on this plane of existence that is 100% dedicated to Karakasa and all of their torment you as you lose your way walking through the woods at night. Kin, with me here at the shrine this evening is my good friend Jeff Dean, a local host here in Portland, Oregon of Horror Holocaust. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Kyle. You're, you're scaring me. Okay, I'm going to knock that off. We're going to do some more chanting with Jeff in a few minutes, but first, I feel the presence of the dead sifting through the ether. Oh, what on this earth could they possibly want to hear? Sonny Tetongo in his old 
going to deliver some dreadful news to the listeners out there there can't actually be a true track listing of the show we're playing tonight of the music we're playing tonight on the show because i actually don't have any of the real soundtracks everything you'll hear tonight has been ripped directly from the film so occasionally you'll hear some dialogue or some other noises peppered throughout the music now that that disclaimer is out of the way i just played uh the tale of heike from kwaidan's Hoichi the Earless, and followed that up with the intro to the original Yokai Daisenso. With me at the audio console this ominous October evening is local host of Horror Holocaust, Jeff Dean. And uh, many of you will remember Jeff was my third and sort of fourth guest on the show. And now he's back to save my butt in some... <laughs> per- <laughs> for a, a issue that that came up this October. But it's a very special episode because it's the Halloween episode. That's right, it's fitting. It's fitting. It's fitting horror holocaust, Halloween. It just goes together. It's it's awesome. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. So, as you guys know, Jeff is also a Godzilla fan. But uh this month we're not going to be talking about Godzilla. We're going to be talking about yokai. So, I'm a little bit out of my element. Not a problem, but because I am, but I am looking forward to it. Good. Because this episode is actually, it's for everyone. Everyone who might be interested because it's more of an educational and entertaining episode of the Kaiju Cast. We're going to be I'm gonna be talking about some of the movies that have come out and uh, maybe shedding a little light on some information that people might not have known already. And just think people say that podcasts are a waste of time. <laughs> That's not, I mean, Don't li- listen you, to them. You listen to this one, you'll learn something. The naysayers shall learn. 
Anyway, so Jeff, you guys, uh, Horror Holocaust, you guys just moved from your last internet radio station to a new one. Yes, we recently moved um, about uh, four or six weeks ago to houseofsound.org. And um, you can hear us every Friday, 2 to 4, Pacific Standard Time. And uh, um, if you live in the Portland area, you can actually hear us on FM 100.7. That's really cool. Actually, Ed, when when you guys, uh, for the listeners out there, when they first started on House of Sound, they were actually on at a later time slot. And uh, even though I never personally took advantage of it, it was cool because I thought, oh, well, that's when I'm leaving work. I can go pick up my son and listen to it on the radio. But that's really cool that you guys are actually broadcasting as well as being online. Yeah, we moved back to the like our original 2 p.m. slot because the fans, they just... Threw an uproar over the, over the move. They were knocking over their coffins. <laughs> That's right. They they were they were an unsettled bunch. You had to listen to the fans, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, anyway, I'm really glad that Jeff's here because we're going to be talking about some creepy, creepy, crawly stuff. Uh, at least for the Japanese. I know a lot of American people that I've talked to have been really confused as to what the big deal is with all these uh, apparitions and, you know, weird-looking creatures in some of these movies. Um, And let's actually get started with that. So, like I said, our topic for the evening dips into this sort of spooky side of the kaiju films, specifically yokai movies. And let's actually start with a little yokai 101. The word yokai doesn't seem to have one definition, but classifies a combination of creatures, both big and small, that has spooked and haunted Japan as far back as history can recall. In 1968, Dae made three films that we here in America have come to know as the Yokai Trilogy. It's made up of 100 Ghosts, Spook Warfare, and Along with Ghosts. The Japanese titles for these aren't nearly as simple as the U.S. translations. The first film is titled Yokai Hyaku Monogotori, it literally means 100 ghost stories, and the title of the film is actually the name of a popular party game played in Japan in the Edo period, where attendees would each have a candle lit in a darkened room, and one by one, they would tell a spooky story, and upon finishing the tale, promptly blow out their candle. They say that when the last candle in the room has been extinguished, that the ghosts and goblins will be creeping into the darkness. So naturally, a cleansing ritual needs to be performed, making sure that the room is safe for the rest of the evening. Uh, another variation of that actually is that by the time you get to the end of the tales and you perform the cleansing ritual, it's, uh, it's already daylight because it's supposed to be take so long to, take, to tell the tales. So, so you, don't ha- you don't have to go to bed then. Right. <laughs> the sun has come up and there's a sense of relief. That's a feudal Japanese rager. <laughs> <laughs> the second film, titled Yokai Daisenso, literally means Great Yokai War, which was the Tokyo Shock title of the U.S. DVD release for the 2004 Takashi Miike remake. And the final movie in the trilogy, Tokaido Obake Dochu, translates to Ghosts Along... The Tokaido Road. The Tokaido Road was quite possibly the most traveled road in the Edo period because it connected what is now Tokyo to Kyoto. So, Jeff, you mentioned that it's been a while since you've seen anything in this vein, uh, but do you remember anything in particular in the movie that you have seen standing the, I, out? 
I, I saw the uh, Takashi Miike version that came out. You know, was okay. it two thousand four? And um, I, I just remember it being extremely entertaining for just you know the monsters, and Miike is you know just a, a fantastic director. But um, you know, I didn't have a frame of reference as to the original trilogy, so I didn't really know, you know. What was going on, or, or or how you know loyal it is? Oh yeah, well as far as and I'll be we'll be talking about that in a, in a little while. But actually, as far as those monsters go, that's that's actually what drew me into the whole thing. I kept seeing these crazy things, and I wanted to know what they were. I think my first my first monster that I looked up was Daimon, which was from the original Yokai Daisenso. I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, about the uh, original trilogy, were they straight up horror films? Or were they were they geared for the horror crowd back in the, which was the late '60s? Correct. Correct. They uh, correct in the, the term that is the '60s. Um, I don't think they were really geared for the horror crowd necessarily. Um, I will be perfectly honest here. I don't have a lot of uh, information about these movies. There's not a massive yokai collective out there that that I can tap into for this kind of stuff. But um, I. I can tell you that the first movie, even though it's got some scary stuff in it, for the most part, it's not a really a scary film. Yeah. The second film is a little more scary, but it's still got, still got this sort of like childlike wonder stuff going on in it. Yeah. And then the third film, which is my favorite of the three, um, that one has the best like actual plot, as far as I'm concerned, and that one is not. Uh, it's still about the same scare factor wise, but it's still not it's not a scary movie. Didn't these three recently get released on DVD within the last three, four years? The now defunct ADV films released them um, a while ago. I'd say probably about ten years ago. So they're probably out of print now then, right? They are out of print. Actually I think they came out with two separate releases. The first the first set had a much more Americanized look to them. They were like you know, one was orange, the next one was blue, the next one was red, and I don't have that in the correct order, I'm sure. But you know, yeah. those three films came out, and I just snatched them up immediately because I never even thought they'd be available on DVD mm-hmm. or VHS at the time. Um, but then they got re-released, I think, and I I think they're the exact same. Okay. I did some research for this episode, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't go out and buy those, and yeah. I'm the only one that I know. I'm the, with the exception of people outside of Portland, yeah. that I know I'm the only person in town that I know that has these movies. For I rem- sure, I remember seeing them, um, like at Suncoast one time for sale. I think that's like the first time I'd, I'd actually ever heard of them. I remember looking at, at the uh, DVD cases and thinking this looks like something interesting, but not you know have not having ever heard of, of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I was kind of not sure. But you saw the ones that had like. The collection of monsters on the front of it, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that was it. What did you think when you saw those monsters? <laughs> when I thought, like, this looks—I mean, it's right up my alley. I thought, yeah, this this looks like something I'd, you know, just—I mean, just with those monsters, it immediately, you know, appeals to me. I thought, like, this is something I got to check out eventually one day. Yeah, I think my first thought was, what is that, and why haven't I seen it yet? Yeah, it's just kind of—it's it, funny, and it's great that you're doing a show based on that this time because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. Who, who haven't even heard of these films. Yeah, well, the Yokai Trilogy folks, if you haven't seen them, check them out. I don't know where they where you, they can get them, though. I mean, 
maybe Blockbuster has them. Netflix. You're a Netflix guy, Jeff. Yeah, I think Netflix has them. Or maybe if they're out of print, usually something that comes out of print, mm-hmm. unfortunately, somebody will rent them on Netflix and not return them. They'll, oh. they'll get lost in the mail. You know how that <laughs> goes? No. I don't know anything about that, dude. Yeah. So th- th- that that's what happens. <laughs> that made me sound very guilty, but I really don't. I really don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that's um, what happens. Well, uh, I know that they were, like I said, they were released once as a you know individual packs, and I, then I think they were released as a box set later on down the road. I know they're still available online. You probably get them through Amazon or Deep Discount DVD or any of those places. Pretty, pretty fairly easily, I would imagine. But um, those those monsters, that's definitely what drew me into this. And I, uh, some of them are just so bizarre that I felt like I needed to know what their story was. And it's actually very difficult to research some of that stuff from the U.S. on a limited budget. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of books that I picked up here and there, but for the most part, a majority of those goblins, and there's hundreds of them out there in, in actual Japanese lore. There's hundreds of these things. Um, they remain somewhat mysterious. I uh, actually translated one of their names one time, and it was like Mirror Wind. It's actually this dude, this little orange dude right there. Nice. I got a got a toy from the original Yokai Desenso on my on my desk here. <clears throat> but it, that's really what it was that pulled me into researching this whole thing: the Kappa, the Tengu, the Faceless Noparabo. They're all like really creepy on one level, but not so much on the other level. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad that we're I'm able to shed some light on this. I know could I actually I could probably talk for a lot longer about this than I am tonight. Mm-hmm. Normally, my outlines are about three pages for every episode, and tonight's five. <laughs> and that's cutting it. And that's cutting it short. <laughs> that's cutting it short. I I when I get into something, I pretty much obsess over it. Like yeah. for until I've exhausted all my resources that I that I can tap, and then I move on to other things. You're kind of like a sponge; you just suck up all the information out there, right? <laughs> and then this yeah. is the this is the forum for you to to, to to spit it all back, <laughs> to regurgitate it all back out, right? Squeeze my head, dude! <laughs> it's just coming out; it's gushing gushing out of my mouth. Um. So anyway, I know, yeah, I know that the scare factor is pretty low for all three of these movies. Um, but Jeff, do you know, like, do you have any idea, like, the monsters that you saw in the Great Yokai War? Do you have any idea why they came about? Um, you know, I don't. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, because when that film, when the 2004 Miyake film came out, I was really excited because, um, like I said, it's very mysterious. A lot of these creatures are, they all have, they have Japanese names that I can't translate mm-hmm. and they look so freaky that I always just, I, I normally just kind of glom onto one or two of them and sort of try and find out as much as I can. But since there's so many of them, it's difficult to, um, to get information on them, especially when you don't know what they're called or you can't type in the Japanese name. But when Yokai Dai Senso, the great yokai war came out there were a lot of print materials that came out and i was working with my friends on uh henshin online and we got some of those materials and some of them actually translated all that stuff and into descriptions that you could actually read they were in english here's here's the deal with some of those things they the origin of several of these monsters i think is kind of brilliant because 
back in the day when somebody couldn't explain something they would just immediately sort of come up with this creature <laughs> to yeah. explain it instead of like scientifically explaining something yeah. the idea was to say I was uh, walking through the woods the other day and uh, I could have sworn I heard this sound and it sounded like somebody washing beans. They were washing beans and I kept walking and every time I took a few steps, I'd stop and it would, I'd hear the sound and it would stop and nobody was there. So it must have been a monster that sounds like he's washing beans. Yeah. That's the deal. That's what the, that's almost how all of these yokai were sort of imagined or brought into uh, the collective conscious of these people. You hear something at night, boom, that's a yokai. Something brushes past your leg, ah, I wasn't there, boom, that's a yokai. I thought that was really cool. There's actually a, a book right up there on the TV stand called Yokai Attack by a guy named Matt Alt, and I think his wife wrote the book, and it, it, it's really cool because it goes into a lot of detail about the different monsters that are out there yeah, that's and nice. what they do. That's the thing that was missing in the uh, uh, Takashi Miike version. They didn't really, you know, explain a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, I, and, I, and I just kind of figured it's, you know, a cultural thing that maybe, you know, if you're Japanese, you know, you kind of understand this. I'm sure there's, you know, there is that, that aspect where if you're Japanese and you've grown up with this stuff, you automatically know it. I would imagine there are a lot more people that know about those creatures in Japan. Actually, my ex-wife had a friend who came over to my house one time. And, uh, okay, so there's the orange guy right here. That's a vinyl toy. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the set of resin figures from X+. Plus. Yes. The guy on the far left there, I had either that figurine or another little figurine on top of our DVD shelf. Mm -hmm. And when she came over, it's a Japanese friend of ours and when she came over she took a look at that thing and she kind of like wigged out a little bit because when she was a kid in japan her mom used to tell her that those things would come and get them if they didn't do their chores or something like that <laughs> isn't that awesome uh, yeah that is <laughs> it, it's it's really goofy looking i'll take some pictures and post them in the so it's kind of like show notes those are kind of like the equivalent to like the boogeyman here I think some of them definitely are, Cause, without you know, a like, doubt. Because, you know, like in America, everyone, you know, oh, the boogeyman's going to come get you. Yeah. You know, what is the boogeyman? It's everybody's, you know, everyone has yeah. their own personal kind of like what the boogeyman is. But Yeah. Well, there's a monster called the Kappa. And uh, for those that know what a Kappa is, you don't need to hear this. But for those that don't, a Kappa, that dude right there with his hands up like this, he's the water imp or monster. And he, like, basically looks, looks sort of like a mix between a turtle and a frog. And uh, he lives in the water and he lures things into the water and then he grabs them and pulls them in. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've ever been to a Japanese sushi restaurant and you've seen cucumber rolls on the menu, mm -hmm. the actual name of the rolls is a kappa roll. In order to keep the kappa away, you throw cucumbers into the water. Because oh. there's only one thing a kappa likes. More than human entrails, cucumbers? and that's cucumbers. Interesting. See, and that's serious. I'm not joking around. That's the actual yeah. lore behind this creature. Oh. He's also got a dish in the top of his head, sort of an indentation that's got water in it, and uh, that's sort of like the source of its power and what you're supposed to do. If you, if you enter into some sort of confrontation with a kappa and you don't have a cucumber on you, which I would imagine most people didn't have cucumbers on them. You have to, the kappas are very polite and you're supposed to trick them into bowing because when they bow their head, 
water comes out, it spills on the ground, and then they sit up again, and all of a sudden they, they're less powerful. And once you drain all the water out of a kappa's head, supposedly you can actually take advantage of them. They're disoriented. You can exactly. You can you know get the upper hand, trick them, grab them, tie them up, something like that, and take them away. But the lesson to be learned is carry a cucumber. Carry a cucumber at all times, or you know, stay away from the water. Which that's that's right. And it, you're, if you're around the sea, you're safe from a kappa. But there's all sorts of other creatures you got to watch out for. That's right, Cthulhu, <laughs> great white sharks. There's lots of things out is there. Is Cthulhu in Japan? <laughs> not not necessarily. You just said in water. In the water, in, yes. In general, right? In general. <laughs> just stay away from the water, everyone. Let's switch gears. I'm going to talk about another movie, which is a I'm a big fan of. It's called Sakuya Yokaiden. Um, it's this crazy movie where a samurai's daughter takes up her father's mantle of slaying demons when he dies. At times, the story plays out a little too much like a live-action anime, which I think technically it is anime or manga. But uh, here's where we tie it into the kaiju lore. Uh, Jeff, you like the 90s Gamera trilogy, right? I do. Well, Sakuya Yokaiden was directed by Heisei Gamera special effects guru Tomu Haraguchi. Nice. And he actually had his cohort Shinji Higuchi, also of the Heisei Gamera fame, work the effects for the film, which, in my opinion, really pushes this into some sort of like top X number of a movies list. I really, really like that movie. One of the coolest parts in uh, the film is when Sakuya and her brother Taro come across a group of yokai in the woods and uh, they're playing music and dancing around. It's all very fun loving. It's not creepy at all. Um, all the creatures and uh, monsters are actually suits or puppets. And it's just a really cool scene in the film. The, well, the rest of the movie is really cool too. Even the giant spider queen shots are some of the best like giant thing versus tiny thing implementations of that sort of look and feel that I've ever seen in a, from a movie in Japan. What year was this? Did that this was from one? 2000. 2000. So it's fairly recent. That's a recent film, yeah. Sakuya Yokaiden. I highly suggest it. I don't think that one's ever officially been released. Some of the problems with these movies is that with Godzilla movies, there's a very wide group of fans that yeah. will buy the films, but I don't think a lot of people really are into the, the yokai films. So finding some of them out there, it's kind of difficult. There are a fair number that have been released in Japan and a few of them have made it over to the States. I, you know, another one is not on my outline here is called on Myoji, mm -hmm. which I think of all people, Panasonic released on DVD here in America. Hmm. Very interesting. So, so you got to actually, you know, do some hard work and, and locate these films via uh, nefarious means, right? Yes, and mild obsession. Or else, have ha have a have a have a good friend who has has them in his collection. And actually, that's how I started out with this stuff. Is I have a friend named Clay, and Clay hooked me up. Just sent me. Uh, he sent me. Uh, I think yeah, he sent me Sakuya Yokaiden and uh, all three of the Yokai movies before they had been released in the states and subtitled. I was just kind of watching them going, wow, this is really cool. I really wish I knew what they were saying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this that's kind of the best way to do it is to have a connection. And, uh, you know, people out there, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, just shoot me an email. I'll do my best to tell you where to go or where what to look for if you're looking for a specific thing. But, 
yeah, so Kuya Yokaiden is definitely uh, a movie worth checking out. There's actually this killer sequence in the beginning. There's a narrator talking about what happened, and there was a there's this beautiful shot of Mount Fuji, mm-hmm. and everything's calm and serene. And then he starts talking about how like this evil was building up, and then boom, Mount Fuji starts to erupt. And it's just this killer scene where Mount Fuji erupts and all the shrines around the base of it crack open. And all these demons and ghosts and goblins come flying out of this Japanese hell. Oh, cool. Really, really cool. A little bit dated, but still they're they're using suits and using uh, puppets, not like, you know. Not using CGI. Not, not CGI. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of the old school. Puppets, you know, makeup. You know, it just seems more real. Mm-hmm. I agree. I totally agree. So t- speaking of old school, let's talk about Quite On. Let's. Let's. Classic. So 1964. I, you know, to be fair, that's not, that's more of a ghost story anthology than yeah. your standard yokai films, but it's great. And if you haven't seen it out there, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, good news because... Criterion actually put out a beautiful DVD of Quite On. Yeah, it's one of the uh, it's one of the best Japanese ghost stories ever made. I think it's um, well. The cool thing about it is it's actually real stuff. Like those are real Japanese tales. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a book up there called In Ghostly Japan, and I know for sure one or two of those stories are in that book. It, I mean, it, it's it's such an atmospheric film. It just sucks you in. And there are some genuinely just creepy moments in that. I mean, it holds up today. It's like, you know, nearly 50 years old now. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it it's still um, very effective. Do you remember anything in particular that kind of caught your eye in, in um, that film? Well, just the visuals are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, uh, the segment with the... Uh, and I think this is like one of the first films that maybe had this, where you have the long hair, and and the growing hair mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is just you know, I mean, because that uh, to to modern audi- audiences, you know, the Japanese ghost, which looks like you know Samara from The Ring, and you know the grudge and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you were saying, this is like traditional Japanese uh, ghost story lore. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So that that long black hair is a very it's a mainstay in yeah. spooky Japanese stories. Can't remember what that sequence was called. Is that one the one where the samurai comes home yeah. after leaving yeah. his wife? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I was a jerk. <clears throat> yeah. And now yeah. I'm gonna die. Yeah, that that's I mean that that it's like wet your pants scary. <laughs> Still. And that's cool because it's so old. That movie came out the same time that Godzilla vs. Monster Zero did. Yeah. yeah. You know, just to kind of put it in perspective, you know, it's Halloween time. It's time for the spooky stuff. Go go find Quite On and rent it if yeah, you don't you, have it. You won't be disappointed. Uh, my favorite tale in that is actually Hoichi the Earless. The first track I played in this episode was from that tale. Uh, it's a great story about a blind biwa player who is staying at a temple. And his mastery of the biwa is so well known that a samurai ghost actually visits him and makes a request from his lord to hear the tale of Heike. And for several nights, Hochi actually plays to uh, an audience of ghosts in a graveyard, and it begins to take its toll on him. Noticing his ghastly pallor, the priest at the temple divulges the truth, and in an effort to protect Hoichi, uh, they paint kanji symbols 
for the Heart Sutra all over his body. And when the ghost samurai shows up to take Hoichi away for another evening of music, he's nowhere to be found until the samurai notices some ears floating there. The monks actually failed to paint the symbols on Hoichi's ears, and as such, the samurai took them away very painfully, <laughs> leaving Hoichi the earless in tears bleeding on the steps of the temple. It's a great story. One, actually, in my opinion, the best pacing of the entire film. It's got this great sort of buildup where he's taken away and he's missing. You don't know where he's gone. And then you find out <laughs> that uh, when he comes back, he just looks terrible. And, and uh, if you see old paintings and old scrolls showing ghosts in Japan, you know, in, in the States, they're clear mm -hmm. and they, uh, or they're just all white or whatever, right? But in Japan, when they have a, uh, typically a painted version of a ghost it's white but it's got a lot of blue on it very like bold blue eyebrows and just a menacing look and so when Hoichi comes back uh they bring him in and he's like he's actually got you know this like ghostly look about him and they know they gotta save him yeah I remember that episode having fantastic visuals too like when he's all doled up with the with the scroll markings all over his whole body. Oh, yeah. I think that's on the cover true. of the DVD, too. Yeah, it is. It's a great look. It's a yeah. great look. It's fantastic. And, you know, it's like supposedly supposedly a true story kind of thing. You know, classic tale from Japan. I also like the Yuki Una, which is the, I don't know if that's the name of the actual story, but that's the one about the snow vampire. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great, great story. Yeah. All, all, I mean, all of them are good. It's, it's it's like you said, it's a movie that's that holds up today. People should check it out for sure. For sure, man. Let's talk a little bit more about Yokai Daisenso, otherwise known as The Great Yokai War. As we mentioned, Takashi Miike did this movie in 2004. And if you don't know who that is or if his name sounds sort of familiar, he is pretty much known here in the States for his horror movies. Yeah. I mean, he a lot of shocking cinema oh absolutely visitor q yes happiness of the katakuras audition audition <laughs> yeah i mean he's like and you know the thing that's great about him he's so prolific you know you're used to a lot of directors especially in america they do a movie one one a year one every two years mike for a while was doing like you know two three movies a year which is just like amazing yeah and and, and quality films no i think it's more than that too like uh you you look at uh, you look at an American director who has done, uh, you know, his life's work is is on the IMDb and it's like sixty pictures and you're like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's how many Takashi Miike has right now, and he just started in like yeah, like, 1996 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's been around for you know 13 14 years and, and he's he, already done like 60 movies yeah it's just it's amazing yeah but i haven't there's you know clearly the lot i haven't seen in, yeah. in that list but i have seen several audition was terribly haunting i will say great movie but yeah, really disturbed a... me and i don't want to disturb my listeners by talking about <laughs> talking about what i saw it's just not a therapy session <laughs> you you know the uh, interesting thing about the great yokai war especially for like american audiences like myself who had only seen his um you know pretty much like savage cinema films which mm -hmm. is kind of like he's he's well known for really just kind of like you know shocking the hell out of his audiences yeah this is a different kind of film for him 
I mean, for American audiences, anyways. For yeah, definitely. But I mean, he's done lots of other, you know, films and other genres in Japan. Just over here, we don't get those films. Yeah, actually, have you seen Zebra Man? I have not seen Zebra Man. Yeah, you're gonna have to come over and watch Zebra Man. If you're a fan of, uh, you know, Ultraman and Common Rider and stuff like that. When did he? Do, when did he do that one? It came out before. I'm thinking 2002 ish. Something okay. like that, but it's great. It's it's actually even got a reference to um, Sadako from The Ring. Oh, really? In there, it's actually it's pretty cool. But anyway, let's. Uh, so you you enjoyed Yokai Day. So you you enjoyed the Great Yokai War. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was just like it, it's it's highly entertaining. My only complaint was it uh, for it was I just didn't quite get. You know, they didn't go into detail about where all the monsters came from. Mm-hmm. Not that I need that, but. I just figured it was something I'm missing. And like you said, when trying to go back and do a little research on it, there's not a whole lot it's you, hard. Can, yeah, it's you can do. So I just so you just kinda left in the dark a little bit. But I thought like the monsters were great. I loved how there wasn't a lot of CG in it. Yeah. The uh that's funny that you mentioned like where did the monsters come from because at you know, at one point aside from the main character monsters, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 word goes down the grapevine that there's supposed to be a big party in Tokyo, <laughs> and then you uh, you pan back from from a battle on top of a building, and then all of a sudden there's like millions and millions of ghosts and yokai like coming over the clouds, and yeah. they're all like psyched for this giant party that's supposed to be happening in Japan. <laughs> Amazing scenes follow after that for real. I mean, this stuff. I was actually watching the DVD the other day and um, part of the DVD that showcases the different monsters and talks about them. And you can, and the Japanese DVD, which is unfortunately not subtitled, you can select a monster. It doesn't show you a picture of its original Japanese appearance. It shows you the the suit that they made for the, the movie and you press this button and it shows you a scene in the movie where that monster appears. Awesome. Yes, it is awesome, but at the same time, it shows like the same 10 or 15 scenes over and over again because there are just oh, okay. so many of those monsters yeah, in those yeah. scenes. You're talking, they they had to have made hundreds of suits for that movie. Yeah, that, that's what the amazing thing is, and also just the imagination they came up with to, to create that many monsters just for one movie. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering like how much of it was imagination and how much of it was like, let's just catalog as much as we can and make as mu- as many suits as we can it's just like what are they doing with all the all those suits they made like th- there's so many monsters it's, it's more than one movie can hold yeah I'll, I'll take a few <laughs> if me you know if uh if kitakawa the studio that made that if, they, if they've got some and they're kind of taking up too much storage just send me a message gladly take some off your hands what about a sequel or two wouldn't, wouldn't you love to see that i would i you know what I'd I'd like to see somebody else try a sequel. I don't I don't think I've heard anything though about that stuff. Yeah, didn't did this one go over well in Japan? That's a good question. Like I said, there's not like a giant fan base that I can yeah, meet up with online and and talk about that. I would assume it it did fairly well. Um I think maybe for next episode or maybe in like an addendum sort of blog post, I could try and find out how it how it did in the box office. Don't you think like the the American DVD that came out the cover, it almost seems like they're marketing marketing it as a as a kids film. Didn't it kind of get that impression a little bit? The entire movie 
is very much like a kid's film now. But yeah. it's not, you know, Tiger saw it in 2004 when it came out, mm-hmm. you know. Actually, we saw it at home one on video before it came out in America. But when Tokyo Shock was putting it out, they were sending it to some theaters. I told Richard at the Hollywood Theater, I said, dude, you need to get this movie to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got to go see it, and that's pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's... It's one of those movies. It's kind of hard. Like some parts of it are like, hey, it's a kid's movie. And some parts are like, I don't want my six-year-old seeing that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like some parts were pretty intense. Yeah, I think the parts where the the different goblins were getting pulled from their prison and like thrown into the, the machine that turned their souls into wretched beasts of machinery. That was a little rough. I kind of wonder if like that mashup of Uh styles just... I can see how here... You know, it'd be kind of like people wouldn't know who to show that to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who's the audience for that? Yeah. But I thought maybe in Japan, maybe they're. I think know. in Japan, it probably probably didn't matter so much. Yeah. I think you know you'd, you'd have a wider audience in Japan, not just because of the the content, but also because of the way that the Japanese care about their their cinema. I actually I liked that movie a lot, and I really enjoy it. In all truth, I actually like the original '68 version of the movie better because um that's the second one correct? yeah that's that's the second one when adv f- first put out the dvds the first one they put out was spook warfare which mm-hmm. was yokai de senso the first movie has a babylonian vampire called daimon that gets released uh from his tomb-like prison and makes his way to japan of all places where he takes over the life of this like benevolent lord from a uh, castle and there's like a pond on the grounds where a kappa lives okay and the Kappa can see through the Daimon's disguise. Then he confronts the Daimon and gets promptly run out of the property. And he has to seek help from other yokai. A lot of the same ones in the movie from Miike. Oh, uh, really? The new film is totally different, though. Even though it shares the same name. And it follows the story of a small boy who has to fight like this ancient and powerful priest uh, with the help of some of the yokai. Same, same characters. Now, I'd be lax in my professional duties if I didn't include a little information about the father of yokai history, and that's a manga artist, Shigeru Mizuki. I have not sought out his work in depth because, to be quite honest, I'm afraid I just don't have enough free time or money to go really nuts on that end of the spectrum. Mizuki creates, uh, created the wildly popular Gegege no Kitaro in the late 50s, which is a story about a boy named Kitaro and his many, many, many adventures with the ghosts and goblins in Japan. Uh, he was actually instrumental in the 2004 film's inspiration and part of the creative department, from what I understand. Uh, there were four yokai sensei, so to speak, on this panel about the film's development, and Kitaro was actually... Uh, finally made into a live-action film in 2007. And according to my sources, that actually did go over very well in Japan. Um, someday I'm going to check that out. What's that one called? Kitaro. Hmm. Yeah, if you ever look at um, Shigeru Mizuki's stuff, uh, and actually when I lived in Japan, I remember seeing a lot of comics of this. It's There's a kid with brown hair, and his hair is long, like about down to his nose. Mm-hmm. maybe down his mouth, but it's parted over one eye. Amazing. Yes, yeah, some of the monsters, some of the yokai in the 2004 Great Yokai War were from Shigeru's comic book. There's a 
one scene where they're trying to enlist the help of the other yokai. There's this long piece of paper. They actually go for a ride on him later. Yeah. But he's like trying to run away, trying to float away. And the, the Kappa says, oh, you're always so brave when you're helping Kitaro. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he being on the panel, he's got a, you know, a lot of say in what happens in the movie, I'm sure. And they, yeah. I'm sure yeah. they wanted to do as, as many nods to his work as possible because that is extremely popular. In yeah. Japan. Yeah. In the 2004 film, there's a scene where the main character is actually in a Shigeru Mizuki museum. So, next time you see that movie, check it out. Yeah, see, that's, these are the things you wish you knew beforehand or had the knowledge about. Yeah. Well, these are the things that just fly right over your head because we didn't grow up there. We don't have that same kind of, you know, cultural reference to all that kind of stuff. That yeah. Well, you know, like I said, if anybody out there is really interested in. Hearing more of this stuff, I'd be happy to uh, expand on the knowledge that I do have. It's just, like I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as yokai goes, and it's just the tip of the ice cube for the knowledge that I have. So if, you, if you're interested and you want to find out more, feel free to email me. Let me know that uh, you want to follow in my footsteps. Is tip of the ice cube an actual term? I just made that up, man. That's not even in my outline. Tip of the iceberg. (laughs) I said tip of the iceberg. No, you said tip of the iceberg. No, no, I said tip of the iceberg because that's the iceberg is what I don't know, and I just know the tip of it. So, but what I but what I know is the ice cube. Much more familiar with ice cubes. You're gonna have to listen to the show now after (laughs) I post it, so you can hear how right I am. Okay. Anyway, let's take a break and listen to some of the music from these movies, shall we? Let's. Okay, we'll start with how a Buddhist monk thinks he can take care of a 3,000-year-old Babylonian vampire.
Well, the actual music I just played was the yokai dance from Sakuya Yokaiden that I talked about and the Unleashed Spirits of the Dead from Koatani's GMK soundtrack, which is a great segue for my next bit and something a little more conventional for this show. I'm here with Galen Huckins of Film Music, a local group of musicians, voice actors, and Foley artists who completely replace not only the score, but also the dialogue and sound effects of some very cool classic movies. They've retracked films such as Death Rides a Horse, Plan 9 from Outer Space, and Missile to the Moon. The current project debuts at the Hollywood Theater next month, and I'm very excited for this one. One of my favorites, Gamera vs. Giron, will be getting the film music treatment. Galen, welcome to the KaijuCast. Thanks, Kyle. Tell me a little bit about the catalyst for this kind of program. How did you come up with the film music concept? Um, well, it started a couple of years ago, and one of the one of the biggest inspirations for it was looking at the silent film era and looking at a time when live accompaniment to film and live performance to film was all over this country and was the, was the norm and all the great opportunities for uh, musicians and for composers and for art that were created because of that. So the, the first project we did last year around this time uh, had a lot of elements of, of that. And in, with this performance, we're introducing um, live sound effects, which, uh, is also kind of a throwback in some ways to older ways of performance with film. Cool. So how much work goes into the whole pre-production 
of the film music projects like what all the stuff you have to do beforehand because you don't use the existing score you completely redo it right and the whole uh, the whole performance is is essentially redone um we don't we don't take any elements in this case of this film we're not using any sound from the original film we're creating all of the sound live from the pit all you know all the teams work in a different way and only till the end of the production are we actually putting all of the, the actors and sound effects artists and musicians together in one spot to uh, for rehearsals. But it's it, it depends. You know, I think for music, we start particularly early because there's a lot of things to take into consideration there, working with a, a large ensemble and composing an entirely new soundtrack, which is which is rather time-consuming and a pretty involved process. Yeah, so you have... Two Foley artists. That's right. How many voice actors? Uh, there's seven voice actors. Seven voice actors and a six-piece ensemble That's playing right. the music. That's right. And so what can kaiju fans expect to see next month when they go see this thing? Will the film music version be a loving tribute to the film or a tongue-in-cheek lampooning? Well, it's neither, really, um, in that it's not It's not a lampooning of the film. We're not... We're not a, our intention is not comedy or parody or satire. Uh, it is very much a serious performance in some regards, as as much as as much as you might expect from this. It's you know, the voice actors who are working on this are are taking it rather seriously and are working as they would on other projects that they have and are really putting a lot of real acting talent <laughs> into into the production. As are the musicians and sound effects artists. So even though it's a fun movie, there's still taking it seriously that's really cool that's right yeah and it's neither is it a, a tribute necessarily to the original i mean we're not we're not we haven't taken a lot of elements in terms of the sounds or the music from the original film it's pretty much all uh, recreated the dialogue is taken directly from uh, the original film though so are you going to keep this in portland or are you going to try and take this out on the road sometime well we've talked about doing a uh, version of the show um a little bit smaller with um the same idea with the the voice actors and the string quartet and the whole crew. Um, and so we're looking at doing that. I think we'll, we're going to be down in Eugene at some point next year to do a couple shows of this. But this is this has been a really fun show to work on. And I'm really excited to continue this even beyond uh, our performances in November. Awesome. So if you could choose another giant monster film to do, which would it be? <laughs> well, we were talking about that at all. The, all there's so many wonderful films out there. Um, we work primarily with public domain films, and there there is one uh, film, Gappa, Gappa film that um we've looked at and talked about doing. Um, so maybe that's uh, this has certainly been uh, exciting to work on, and I know particularly for the uh, sound effects artists and for the musicians, it's been a, a wonderful experience working with this material. So I think it is something we'll continue in the future. Awesome. Well, if you do Gappa, just like. This whole gear on thing, I'm totally there. <laughs> yeah, totally I believe there. it. I believe it. All right, well, thanks again for talking with me. I really do appreciate you taking the time. For anybody in the Pacific Northwest who's interested in seeing the show, Film Music's version of Gamera vs. Giron will be at the Hollywood Theater on November 4th, 6th, 11th, and the 13th at 7 p.m. for each show. Tickets are only $10 or 8 bucks for students and seniors. I'll have the link to both the Film Music and the Hollywood Theater websites in the show notes. And if you're interested in going on Friday the 6th, the Kaiju Cast is actually organizing a mass group. So definitely contact me via email or through Facebook. Thanks again, Galen. And I will see you for the rehearsal on the 24th. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> see you there.
seriously, I'm like super, super excited to check that show out. Uh, let's move on to some more monstrous announcements. This month's, uh, this month, I don't actually have any real news to report, but these uh, little nuggets should interest you all the same. Matt Keith wrote into the show to share his review of the Blu-ray release of Godzilla, noting specifically that the Blu-ray release doesn't seem to have been created from any restored print or uh, have any post-production fixes to the presentation and kind of suggests to possibly sticking with the updated but standard definition classic media release. I myself don't have any way to play the Blu-ray yet, but if you're interested in reading the review, I'll have the link in the show notes. Is uh, Classic Media put out the Blu-ray version, I assume? I think so, yeah. Okay. I assume all the special features were transferred over. I Actually, I'm not sure if they were. I think that's one of the, one of the uh, issues from his review is saying that it's kind of bare bones mm. so compared di- to the original. Yeah, that's disappointing. You know, the original like, Classic Media release, it, which still isn't the original. But yeah. But, I mean, that's just disappointing that, you know, because you got that great version that, you know, that just came out, what was it, four, I guess three or four years ago now, the the two-disc. Yeah, for the 50th anniversary. Yeah, for the 50th anniversary, um, with, with a great amount of special features. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Blu-ray version that's bare bones. It's just like, you know, wh- why would I upgrade? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but how does that look? I mean, you, you're a Blu-ray watcher. How does that, how does the... I'm assuming that your player kind of upscales it to your TV. Well, it 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 will upscale standard DVDs. Okay, not to Blu-ray quality, of course. Right. But um they they still look good. But but if you buy like an old black and white we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier when you when you buy an early film, an old black and white film that has an official Blu-ray l- release, aside from a better quality transfer from the original materials, you can't get better than the original materials yeah i mean it's uh it's going to be hit hit and miss it depends on how how good the the original film has been you know kept mm-hmm. you know i mean i love blu-ray on certain films I, I notice a huge difference especially films from like the 70s and 80s modern films they all look fantastic yeah you know but i see a bigger difference in older films but like films from like the 30s and 40s and 50s in black and white you notice a difference but i don't think it's you know, if you already own the film with a bunch of special features, I don't think I would upgrade to a Blu-ray that's kind of bare bones. Yeah, you were saying, wow, that dirt on the film looks so much cleaner. <laughs> yeah. So I can see it more clearly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that scratch that happens at the 30-minute mark. I'll definitely have the link to the show notes. Jeff, you should totally check that out. I will do that. Absolutely. Those on Facebook will already know this, but I got an email from... Mikikazu Komatsu, who runs a Japanese blog called Ultimo Spaplin that showcases American fans of Japanese culture. Mikikazu says, My show is informative, educational, and enjoyable. Huzzah! <laughs> uh, while Google has me scratching my head at parts of its translation, I'm very happy that the Kaiju cast has crossed the Pacific and made it to some kind of Japanese media, in, uh, even if it's on the internet. So thanks, Ultimo Spaplin, and I hope I'm saying that right. I'll have a link to the blog in the show notes, of course. Is it a blog about spleens? No, it's a it's a blog about American fans of Japanese culture. Oh, yeah. I it's about bridging that gap, man, and making friends across the Pacific. Yes, we need that. Anyway, last month, um, 
listeners will know that I talked with Martin uh, about how Rodan was such a big deal in my childhood. So I added a poll asking my visitors which solo kaiju film did they enjoy more. And not surprisingly, the winner was actually the original Godzilla with 77% of the votes. Rodan came in in second with 23%. Go winged creatures. Followed by Mothra. All right. And then Varan, which were the only options I gave. But, you know, Varan Varan had a very minimal amount of votes. Poor guy. The uh, This month's question is pretty simple, though. Which of the original Daiei Yokai films did you enjoy most? So make sure you check that out because I definitely want to see what people say. And in the next episode, I'll do the same thing I just did. Last but not least, I have something Yokai related to share. In a bizarre internet search fluke, I actually found a Boing Boing blog post that shared an incredible eBay find. A scroll depicting the popular yokai parade, the uh, otherwise known as Hyaki Yaku, is currently up for bid on the eBay, and it looks like it's in pretty good condition. I actually wish someone uh, would make reproductions of this and sell them for a tiny fraction of what the opening bid is, which, uh, by the way, $15,000 U.S. Small potatoes. Yeah, well, you know, if you happen to have fifteen grand burning a hole in your pocket and you really love the show, just email me and I'll give you my address. You know, we don't need to make a big deal about it. We keep it on the down low. <laughs> it's just fifteen grand. Come on, people. Uh, anyway. Pocket, <laughs> that, yeah. pocket change. Pocket maybe. change for some. That pretty much does it for the Kaiju cast, people. I want to thank uh, Jeff Dean for co-hosting with me tonight. Anytime, Kyle. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Woohoo! And I hope that some of my listeners learned a little more about the weird and wonderful world of Japanese ghosts and goblins. I did. In film, at least. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, as soon as I leave tonight, I'm going to steal your copies and go home and watch them. Sweet. <laughs> I'll just come over and get them later. You can borrow them if you want. Well, you know where I live. That's right. I do know where you live. It's too bad. Uh, I'll have some links in the show notes for anyone who wants to pursue the subject matter any further. And as always, I'd also like to say that if you found this podcast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, make sure you check out the actual website, kaijucast.com. The KaijuCast is also on Facebook, so if you're a listener, don't hesitate to show your friends that you're a fan. I'll be putting up a brand new poll when I post the episode, so make sure you vote in that too. And if you want to share praise criticism or just ask me a question you can email me at controller at kaijucast.com i love hearing from you guys out there and i always do my best to email you back um and at the time of this recording i still have some kaijucast prints left so make sure you check out the blog if you're interested in one with nothing else to live for in this ethereal episode it's time for me to follow the flaming balls of fire into that misty land twixt the living and dead But before the end, I'll leave you with some more music. Watch your step while treading on the mountain passes or skirting the edge of the pond. You never know what kind of claws will grab you and pull you to your doom. Jamata.
Thank <laughs> you.